That last little bit was really nice. I like that a lot. Yeah. 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 I always think I'm ready for the musical intro and then I'm not. I, I'm always surprised. <laughs> Kudos to you and your mouth orchestra, Jake. Um, well, what do you know? It's episode 13 of the Proof of Sound podcast. Lucky 13. Lucky 13. I'm Reed Strength, your host. And it's a very special day for two of my favorite gentle dudes. Of course, I'm talking about the man himself, Jake Smith. I got... N- Oh, oh it's, oh, it's the song. It is. It is. That's what he was doing. Whoops. <laughs> and of course, the angel of 8th Avenue himself, Mr. Devin ah, Cooley. Thank you, spirit boy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Guys, the I day... I wanted to be hand of God. I, you know what? I, we, can, we can recut the intro and just go through each one. But I, I'll never get that song back. Yeah. It was a once-in-a-lifetime <laughs> musical intro, so I guess we got to stick with it. That's fair. That's fair. Well, guys, the day that you've been patiently waiting for has arrived. Will you what, tell the people what's up? What do we quick? call it? Patient. <laughs> no, I, I would call it hyped and excited for months, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is, uh, as of today on our, our recording, one day after the release of Gang of Youth's third full-length album, Angel in Real Time. I like it. I like it. And we've been talking about this release since, what, August of last year? I'm trying to remember when it was announced. Basically since we started Pretty much, the yeah. podcast. Yeah. Like, it was very early on right. in the, the Proof of Sound days. Yeah, no. So we are very excited. Uh, we, we've all listened to it, and that is going to be today's title track. But of course, we're also going to be talking about a bunch of other music that's been released, as well as some awesome music to watch out for in March. It's going to be a great episode. Good I mean, energy. We have had a stacked February, it's, just straight up. It's been overwhelming, but like in the best way, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and, and not just in the realm of music, you know, because I know we've been listening to a lot of great albums lately, but then on top of that, you know, we've just gotten Oscar nominations, and so I've been watching a bunch of great movies, yep. and then on top of that, video games have been stupid. It's a big one, yeah. Like, yep. Come on. Yeah, I, I feel like all of the pent-up energy from 2020 and 2021 is just being released in 2022, where it's like, what if we give you everything? That would tickle my ninnies. <laughs> You heard it here, folks. Uh, But of course, this is the Proof of Sound podcast, uh, where the three of us jolly good chums get together to nerd out about the latest music releases, some old favorites, some new music discoveries that we are just pumped to share and have been listening to a lot. So whether you're always on the hunt for new stuff to listen to, or just love to talk about music with your friends, this is the podcast for you. Now, of course, you can listen in at any of your preferred streaming services, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, just by searching Proof of Sound Podcast. But if you want to keep up with the show, you can always follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Proof of Sound Pod. That's Proof of Sound P-O-D. Cool. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Now, we are at the tail end of February, which, as we kind of mentioned at the top of the show, absolutely bonkers month for media in general. Um, But ahead of us, of course, is March, which... Maybe not as, well, not quite as packed with like huge heavy hitter double albums as we're going to talk about soon. There's still a lot to look forward to. So Devin, do you want to take it away and tell us what we've got to look forward to in March? All right. So the first week of March, we're looking at albums from Chase Porter, Ghost Toast, (laughs) Band of Horses, The Queen Herself, Dolly Parton, L1011, Guided by Voices, Maddie Diaz is dropping an EP, which is her latest release after last year. Uh, She had a a really great tearjerker of an album. Uh, We've got something from The Weather Station, who also, I believe, had a very solid album from last year. Yep. Um, And then also Vane FM. Yeah, hardcore band, hardcore band. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to be honest and say I have no idea who 
Ghost Toast is, but when I was uh, looking at music to add on the calendar, I saw mm-hmm. the name and I was like, well, you, I have to show I'm going to listen to it just on the name alone. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, also, Chase Porter is a local Birmingham musician who's releasing his debut solo right. album. So, had you know, shout out to Chase. He's a cool guy. I think out of the... The 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 names that you just mentioned, Devin, I'm really looking forward to some L1011, great instrumental kind of post-rock band. I think Nilifer Yanya is also releasing an mm-hmm. album on Friday, March 4th, and I'm a big Nilifer Yanya oh, person. Jake, okay. I know that you're a big Nilifer Yanya person as well. Yeah, I um, I love her. I think she's great. I, I remember one time I was waiting on you in a parking lot, and I was jamming out to her, and you like <laughs> came up to my car and could probably like hear it through the doors. Yeah. It was blasting so loud. Heavyweight champion of the world, right? Yeah. Yeah. Great album. Great, great album. Probably, I think that was like my favorite album of 2019. So I'm, I'm very highly anticipating this one. I think it's going to be really good. What about you guys? Anything on this list that, other than Nilifer, maybe that you're, that you're excited about? I mean, I'm an old head, so yeah. obviously GBV is going to pique my interest. Yeah. Got by voices. Um, Dolly Parton, uh, you know, probably not going to be my thing, but like good honor for throwing something new right. out there for right. the world to hear. I was trying to think of what album this. Like, is it 20? 20- 5th? 30th? I, she's oh, released so much there. material. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. a lot. Um, and then Band of Horses is going to be interesting to see where they're at at this point because it's been a while since they've released anything. Yeah. So are, yeah. are they going to be... Is this going to be like a renewal of Band of Horses? Uh, or is this just going to be another mid-career dud? We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I like that the album title is called Things Are Great. Just <laughs> <laughs> just trying to, to put good energy we out there. So. We, we hope, hope so. We hope so. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that next week, we're going to have stuff from Alex Cameron, Drug Church, Ghost, Lil Dirk, Kishibashi with a 10th anniversary release, uh, Rex Orange County, Wednesday, and Widow's Peak. And I think Reed might be excited for this Widow's Peak album. Yeah, Widow's Peak's an interesting band for me. So they're they're kind of a, they're a duo. And when I first heard of them, it was off of a Discover Weekly find, actually. They had a song... Um, that was just very uh, string kissed and acoustic and just beautiful vocals, just kind of something you'd listen to on a sunny day. Um, but I, it, while it's good and I saved it, I never really like went back into their discography or tried to listen to other stuff that they'd released until I heard the first single from this new album that's coming out called The Jacket. And when you look at the album cover, it's this like, it looks like it's this like leather jacket that is just like, I don't know, kind of torn and frayed and like been through some shit, right? Um, And it's interesting because I feel like that kind of indicates the different sonic approach that Widow's Peak is going, where before they were sort of this like alternative folk band or whatever. The guitars are way turned up and plugged in this time, which I think is super cool. And there's a song they have called um, Everything is Simple that I liken to sort of like when water goes from a simmer to a boil, where it starts off very kind of slow kind of contemplative it's got this like really groovy drum beat and then as the song goes on it slowly builds and builds and builds and builds and it doesn't turn into some big crescendo but just the guitars get louder and grittier and meaner the drums kind of start doubling in time um i'm really interested to kind of see what they do with this one the other songs that they've released um have also just been equal parts kind of like more rock oriented which i didn't expect but also the um the vocal performance of the lead singer i I don't recall her name but she she's just very captivating so i'm super excited for this one it's you know a smaller album but one that uh i i'm already just by three songs in i'm already into for sure meanwhile to no one's surprise 
I heard ghost and just was like, yeah, that's, that's going to be it. <laughs> that's sure. it. Yeah. Impira. Yeah. Yeah. Jake, you're a big ghost fan. I remember us talking about Square Hammer a lot. For I, sure. I'm a, a big fan of ghost yeah. and all of their, their maximalism. <laughs> To say to say it mildly, maximalism. It might be a little more than just maximalism. Yeah, yeah. The uh, one of those band, one of those metal bands too, that I feel like is an easy gateway drug for a lot of people. Yeah, they're they're in the Baroness tier, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Um, I know Drug Church is a big one too, and then yeah, I, I put uh, I added Kishi Bashi into this mm-hmm. list because One Fifty One A was a big big album yeah. for uh, Jake and I in college for yeah. sure. Yeah. And our friend Jacob. Shout out Jacob. Big shout out yes. Jacob. All right. So the next week we're going to have something from uh, Charlie XCX, Cypress Hill, Hot Water Music, uh, Jenny Evol. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then uh, Rosalia. And then, uh, yeah, that gets us through the 18th. Big pop week. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Definitely. Um, then the week after that, the 22nd, we've got something from Fife Dog. Yes. Fife Dog from Tribe Called Quest. It's a yes. posthumous compilation. Very excited. Yeah, that's going to be a big one. Yeah. Um, that same week, we got something from Aldous Harding, um, Ali Shaheed Muhammad, and Adrian Young. Another uh, Tribe Called Quest member. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Destroyer, Camp Cope, X Void, uh, The Band Fucked Up, Gorilla Toss, Machine Gun Kelly. <laughs> it's really going to test whether or not we need that. Um, <laughs> Marin Morris. Yeah, it, it's an interesting week there. There's a lot going on from a, a, a big range of genres all at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I'm I'm excited for uh, that Destroyer album. I'm a big New Pornographers fan and Destroyer's songs on New Pornographer or Dan Behar songs on, on New Pornographers albums are always highlights. So He's a he's a weird guy. I'm always down for it. And then, um, yeah, Machine Gun Kelly. Main, the al- I love that the album title is called Mainstream Sellout. <laughs> he's just it's, man. It's, it's on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> what can you do? What can you I, do? He's so big right now, and I I don't understand it. All right, uh-huh. sure. I don't either. And then Jake, yeah, uh, two reissues from the band Tanari Win, which I know that yeah. you're a big fan of. Yeah, yeah, and uh, albums older albums that i have not heard because i'm mostly familiar with their most recent output their last i think three albums have all been real bangers but haven't really delved into the back catalog so that'll yeah. be good to listen to yeah no i'm uh i'm pumped y'all i feel like merch just has a lot lot to offer again maybe not in the same way that like these like big heavy hitter bands are releasing stuff right but you know this not- is where you find some gems here and there though absolutely yeah. i totally agree with that i need a down month yeah yeah I well, agree. yeah, Machine Gun Kelly's going to try and give you that. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's going to be listening to the podcast, Jake. He's going to expect you to, uh, you know, give him give him some shout outs. I think for sure. Okay, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I think that that just about wraps up our upcoming releases to look forward to for March. And now, gentlemen, we will move to the part of the podcast that I feel like we all look forward to, which is what we've been listening to. And oh my god. All the double albums, four a to be precise. It's 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 like eating like two meals a day when you listen to these albums. Mm-hmm. Well, it's I mean, okay. So when we say double album, yeah, okay. Yes and no. Okay. You know, I think there's a lot of times CDs kind of messed up what counts as a double album because you know, then all of a sudden we could put more music onto one disc. Right. And it's like you do like 75 minutes on a single disc, and it was like, okay, is this a double album? It feels like it should be. But it's just one CD. So I consider all of these to be double albums, just in the sense that they are over an hour long, all four of the albums that we're going to talk about today. So to me, that, that makes them all double LPs. That's that's fair. That's fair. Definitely a, a, a lot to unpack with, with each release. And I guess now I want to know, 
Who wants to go first? Who wants to dish on their new favorite long album? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll jump in for an album that I promised that we would talk about uh, in the last episode. It is Big Thief's new release, Dragon New Warm Mountain. I believe in you. I believe that yeah. you could do it, Devin, uh, and you a did. heck of an album title. Um, yeah, and I think, honestly, that album title leads you into just how long this album is. So this is um, Big Thief's next release following uh, two releases back in 2019, uh, one of them being Two Hands, uh, UFOF, and then um, uh, 2017's album Capacity, which I know was a very, very big album to read here. Yes. Um, this is... Uh, 20 songs it is an hour and uh 20 minutes um it is a lot this is a uh, a massive album and uh i would say it's full of interesting like really folky tracks that sort of toe the line between like sometimes there's these like fleetwood mac moments sometimes there's this old country hints of bluegrass straight up bluegrass at times um and then some some strange like alternative like almost experimental at times yeah um I think this album feels long. Mm -hmm. I think that's a drawback that I've had to it, but um, I find it really easy to get lost in the back probably dozen tracks to the point where like I sort of lose where I am. I don't really know which way is up. Yeah. Um, I don't know that that's in a good way, but I think this album starts off really, really strong. Yeah. Um, the, the opener change is this beautifully simple um, song and uh, Adrian uh, Linker's lyricism really, really shines throughout a bunch of these tracks. I mean, that's that's the part that they really lean on with this album. Um, I really enjoyed that opening track change this week, uh, just with so much going on in the world and, and it just being such a strange time right now. This was just such a really simple, uh, contemplative song to to really listen to. But yeah, uh, time escaping is the the second track on the album that um, I think is very, very solid. Um, Spud Infinity is so dang weird <laughs> that it's it's wonderful um it's got this jaw harp bluegrass backing that um just like beow, 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 yeah beow, it's, beow, it's crazy yeah. and it leaves room for uh at the end for this like sort of instrumental breakdown yeah um but uh, going back to time escaping i think that song is awesome it's it's such a whiplash from yeah. change right yeah. yeah yeah it's it's weird because it's sort of like change sets you up to sort of expect a bunch of these like slower interesting tracks that really do focus on her lyricism and then that uh, uh, time escaping just hits you with this like bonkers cacophony of drums and different sounds all at the same time but i think it comes together so well it it's time um time escaping reminds me so much of like a yankee hotel foxtrot experiment mm -hmm. i think where it, it it does kind of have this like shell of a of a folk or kind of country mm -hmm. song but just all of this weird rhythm running over it yeah. and just this clattering percussion mm -hmm. super cool i agree yeah but i i think i like this album um but what i really like right now is just that first like seven or eight tracks mm -hmm. um it's so long and like i said it feels like a very long album to yeah. me like unlike some of these ones that we might talk about later that i think kind of flow like flow a little better to me uh but with this one being 20 tracks it's a lot um but uh, I think there's a lot of room for that back half to grow on me. So I'm interested in continuing to listen to this one. And even like finding myself not starting the album from track one, yes. like give myself a better shot. Start with like track 10 and really focus on that back half at sometimes because I know I've listened to this front half of the album so much more than that back half because I've wanted to listen straight through. And it's just, it's a very, very long album and it's hard to find time to do that. But um, I, I think this is one where I could see this one hanging in my top 10 maybe even my top five wow if that back half of the album really like i, I come around to that 
Yeah. I think there are really two types of double albums, and I think we're going to talk about both today. There's uh, one type of double album that is the high concept album, where it's just a very long series of interconnected songs that all work towards the same big arc. And then you have the double album that's just the the odds and ends. It's like, I call it the white album template, where totally. you just grab a whole bunch of stuff from all over mm-hmm. the place and throw it together into a pot and make a big old album. Um, a lot of times when bands like go longer periods than normal without putting something out, you'll get something like this. And that's definitely the vein that this Big Thief album is working in, is this is a grab bag double album. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the conceit that they uh, talked about in the lead up to this album was that they were on the road and they were writing a whole bunch of songs and every place they'd go, they'd write a new song. And I don't know if that's 100% true for the material here, but it sounds like it could very well be true that yeah. all of these were written in a different place with a different set of circumstances, a different overall ethos kind of hanging over them because mm-hmm. it is very scattered. Yeah. And sometimes that can make it difficult to appreciate it as a whole piece. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that kind of gets to Devin, what you're talking about. By the time you get to the second half of this, it's like, all right, I, I need a break. Yeah. 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 Um, I have listened to the back half mm-hmm. just straight from the top. I do think that the back half is not as good as the first half. Okay. I don't think it's bad, mm-hmm. but I do think that the first half shines brighter yeah. overall. Um, Change, obviously, one of the greater opening tracks I've heard in a while, I would say. I, I love it. It instantly transports me to the place they want me to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the title track a lot. Mm-hmm. It, you know, for such mm-hmm. a bizarre lyrical conceit, the music's actually just really nice. Yeah. Um, and then I love, my favorite track on the album is Little Things. Me too. Okay. Okay. Yes. I think Little Things is so good. It wraps me up in this like kind of shimmery, sparkly, um, kind of airy guitar part that pretty much persists throughout the whole album. There's like a almost danceable backbeat kind of behind it pulling you through. Doesn't veer much from that. Mm-mm. So if you're not into songs that kind of sit in one pocket and stay there and develop through that pocket. This might not be your thing, but if you really like it when a band just finds a groove that works and hangs on and chills there for a little while and invites you in, uh, little things might be right up your alley. I know, Jake, I totally agree, man. Little things is is the highlight for me. It was one of the first kind of singles that I think they released from this album, mm-hmm. and I've, I've just kind of held on to it. And I, I totally agree with you in terms of that groove. I also just love the vocal performance mm-hmm. on it. Not only Adrian, but and I don't know if it's Buck. I don't know if it's another member of the band. But when they when they sing, there's sort of this like it's like a harmony part, but it's delayed a little bit. Where it's like she'll sing and then he'll be like a couple seconds behind. But what I love is it kind of offers this, and I'll take a uh, uh, a word from the album title, this sense of warmth to mm-hmm. it that just feels very homespun and intimate. And that's one of my favorite things about Be- or not about Beach House, about Big Thief, <laughs> is that. Uh, uh, when every press photo that they've ever taken, their arms are always around yeah. each other. They're just they just seem like a group of like weird hippie friends that just make this cool music. And <laughs> I feel like it comes through so often. I um, think there's so a um, you know, we mentioned the Fleetwood Mac influence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that runs throughout the album uh, more so on some songs than other. I mm-hmm. think Little Things yeah. really sits in that Fleetwood Mac Mac pocket. Not. Fleetwood Mac it. Fleetwood <laughs> Mac pocket. We just made a new term. Yeah. And Adrian Linker um, has that Stevie Nicks warble yeah. in her voice. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes she puts a country twang on it, which makes it distinct. Right. Um, but on this song, it's just that straight Stevie Nicks vibe uh, the whole way through. And I think that they get the the sheen of Fleetwood Mac without the overly polished layer that you get from some of Fleetwood Mac's less great albums. I'm thinking like Mirage in particular, like is kind of overly produced. This is very 
almost underproduced, but in a good way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that lets each individual band member shine. Mm-hmm. And no, I, and I totally agree with you, Jake, where the the production between each, you're talking about how it's kind of recorded in different places. And you, mm-hmm. you hear that and just that like some songs are super polished, but not overproduced. And others sound a little bit more lo-fi and like yeah, someone just yeah. stuck a microphone in front of the band and was like, right. here, we'll just do it. But yeah, super great. And Devin, I, you know, you're saying that this could be in your top 10, top five. I, I do feel like, a lot of the albums we're going to talk about today are those things where it's hard to make an opinion to me on these kinds of things in two weeks since right. release, right? right? It's something you do kind of live with for a while and like and start to unpack, which is right. which is great and cool. Um, Jake, do you want to talk to us about Cult of Luna? We're going to Sweden, boys, <laughs> but not normal Sweden. No, not happy Scandinavian, sunshiny all 24 hours of the day sweden no we are going to deep dark primal sweden yes cult of luna uh they're now i don't even know which album it is for them i haven't really looked but it's fine y'all know i don't do my research that's why you like me that's all right you're good um this is the long road north which is coming on the heels of the raging river last year Mm -hmm. which was my number five album of the year when we did our year-end episodes of this podcast um and I thought, and I infamously said that when we talked about Cult of Luna releasing an album this year, that I didn't really need more Cult of Luna. I was good. I had the Raging River. I was I was satisfied. I was not satisfied. <laughs> I wanted more, and I wanted the Long Road North. Um, this, to me, is even better than the Raging River. Wow. Um, okay. Which is dangerous to say that something's even better than an album I've already said was my number five, because there's only four more spots up. I can put that to really represent that. So we'll see, you know, if 2022 is a more stacked year, it might not actually shake out that way at the end of the year rankings. But for me, this is Cult of Luna doing what Cult of Luna does best, which is being heavy as crap, but also at the same time, having crystal clear production, mm-hmm. having this satisfying crunch on the low end that makes you want to listen to it. Um, and then just having this overwhelming sense of atmosphere yeah. that so many bands like this that do more extreme subgenres of metal kind of have a hard time doing. And a lot of that is due to a lot of extreme metal bands not having the best production. And um, that's kind of a common trope, especially in Scandinavian metal bands, is that you're going to have bad production. This is not that. Cult of Luna has crystal clear production. Some of the best metal sounds I've heard captured, just in terms of the quality of the sound, um, in some time, I would say. Um, but this album is, like a lot of their albums, very naturalistic. It, it uses a lot of natural imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, but whereas The Raging River was all about kind of like nature reclaiming us, for lack of a better term. Um, this is more focused on the person in nature or being alone in nature, um, and particularly with the cold, which, you know, is evoked by the long road north, that title. You get the sense as you listen through the album that you're in this frigid landscape. The album cover being black and blue also emphasizes that. Um, The first track, Cold Burn, is one of the best songs I've heard from them ever. Love it. It's got this sick, deep metal riff, but then it's balanced out by like a dance beat. It's bizarre. (laughs) Uh, It is not like your traditional metal song um, but i think it's fantastic but then my favorite song on this album is an offering to the wild which is i believe the best song that cult of luna has ever released 
I think an offering to the wild is them at the peak of their powers. It is 12 minutes long. It does not want you to be able to listen to it easily. (laughs) And I love that. It's like probably three, maybe even four minutes before you even get the vocals. Um, And for listeners who um, might like to check this out, just as a word of warning, they are screamed vocals. So if you're not used to that, um, that could be a turnoff for you. But it's got this very slow build. It starts out with just this single lonely guitar sound, and it slowly adds on layers. At one point when the bass comes in and it's just the low note, it's just underneath that same guitar lick and then the drums come in with this deceptive shuffle that sounds very simple but if you think about the logistics of playing it you're like this drummer must have five arms (laughs) because he is all over the kit it's insane Um, and then it builds and builds and builds until finally the riff hits and they up the distortion and it just destroys you yeah Um, and it continues through and it cycles and Every section sounds distinct from the last section, but it all sounds like it fits together in a single song. Um, I think it's a triumph. I think it's the best song they've ever released, An Offering to the Wild by Cult of Luna. What do y'all think? Did y'all even listen? I know this is outside of y'all's general <laughs> wheelhouses, specifically I, to Devin. Yeah, Did, I, I have not gotten around to this one yet. Okay. So you have sold me on it, though, that I definitely need to give it a try this week. I love it. I love it. I've listened to it uh, a little bit here and there, mostly just shuffle. And Jake, you're totally right about cold burn. It is such a journey. And I feel like you don't, it's like the first like couple minutes, you don't realize just how big it's going to get. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm in a goddamn thunderstorm on a plane. Like (laughs) it's, it's so huge. Well, it starts with just this guitar tone that is like basically shouting at you. Yeah. 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 And then they slowly add the elements in again. It's something they're really good at. Yeah. Um, I had a question about, so I'm looking at the track list right now. Yes. And I see that Beyond 2 features Colin Stetson, who, really interesting musician. He's worked with Bon Iver before and is kind of like an mm-hmm. experimental, like experimental, experimental, experimental. We're great with our invented words today. <laughs> we are experimental saxophone player. Um, do you, you, what is his part on Beyond 2? Do you hear it a so lot? So Beyond 2 is just kind of like a, um, almost an ambient into the album. Oh, okay. It's cool. not like what you would consider to be a traditional metal song. So he's in there along with a lot of other sonic layers. Cool. But it's not like a prominent feature that you would think of in that way. Yeah. No, I, Jake, I totally understand what Devin means in terms of you selling it, where I just feel like this is Cult of Luna are a um, metal is such is a genre that can be so steeped in tradition. And I think can sometimes be so chained to tradition mm-hmm. and what quote unquote metal is supposed to do and sound like. So it sounds like they're really kind of pushing the boundaries a little bit, which is cool. Yeah, I, th- I think that uh, there is definitely boundary pushing. I do think that there's enough here, though, where people who like and appreciate classic extreme metal sounds are going to listen to this and still find something that they love. Yeah. So I think it's a great bridge in that way between those two worlds. And you were saying, too, that, you know, you were talking about kind of the themes of the Raging River and you were talking about the themes of the Long Road North. But you also mentioned that the vocals are a little harsh. They are screamed Mm -hmm. in terms of the. Even though they're screamed, do you still feel like you can make out kind of what he's saying and, and the, the picture that he's painting, basically? At times. Okay. Um, I would always recommend someone listen to a metal album all the way through without lyrics the first time mm-hmm. and then a second time through with the lyrics right in front of you. Nice. Okay. Um, so that you can really appreciate what's being said there. Uh, it, in a lot of ways, reminds me, and the title is reminiscent of The Narrow Road to the Deep North, which is a collection of haiku by Matsuo Basho, Whoa. a Japanese poet. Um, and it's about, you know, going north in Japan in that case. 
and writing haiku as he goes through and looks at the natural scenery and kind of reflects on his place in the world. Mm -hmm. And this album has a similar ethos. Not to say that it's calming like a haiku might be. (laughs) It's not that. But it is very uh, reflective and it's uh, almost Cult of Luna looking in at themselves through the lens of this frigid nature. Ooh, man. I... No, I'm totally going to listen to this. Devin, we should make a pact. I like it. By the okay. next episode, we have thoughts to share. For 100%. sure. 100%. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm going to need y'all's yeah. takes yeah. next time around. We'll, we'll do it. And I feel like, too, if this one's all about, uh, you know, the long road north and, and the cold, it's it's not going to be cold here much longer. So this, yeah. this is the yeah. scenery to appreciate it. Okay. Now, for sure. Do it while you can. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, I am going to transition us to the huge big album that I want to talk about, which is Beach House's Once Twice Melody. Um, this is Beach House's eighth studio album out on Sub Pop Records. If you haven't heard of Beach House, I'm surprised. I feel like they're one of those indie bands that has just like blew up out of the underground a long time ago. I just feel like so many people um, get so wrapped up in their sound. And if there's for some reason, if you're not familiar with Beach House, they're a duo consisting of Victoria Legrand and Alex Scally. They are a strong vibes first band. That is to me what they are. It's all about being consumed by these huge dreamy walls of sound built from synths and guitar and drum machines. It's it's to me, Beach House songs don't really have one particular star part or instrument. It's just kind of the hole that you kind of get swallowed by. Um, I liken their sound to what the stage Fountain of Dreams and Super Smash Brothers looks like. The curvy one that's like all... Sp- oh, I know exactly what stage you're talking about. <laughs> I'm just thinking. <laughs> Maybe. I just, I was listening to this album and I was like, why do I feel like I'm, you know, going up, up, up and like doing the the down B move or whatever. Anyway, uh, this is Once Twice Melody is a double album consisting of 18 tracks. So another double stuffed Oreo over one. here. Yeah. Um, and... Jake, you mentioned something at the top of the podcast where sometimes with double albums, you know, you really kind of have to like piece them up, right? Maybe not listen to the whole thing all the way through, which is interesting because that's how Beach House released this album initially is they announced it in November and then proceeded to release it in chapters that consisted of four or five songs. So, you know, in November, we got four or five songs and then we got more songs in December than January and then finally February and it was just recently released. And that to me is the absolute key to enjoying this album because I cannot listen to this thing all the way yeah. through. I can't do it. Every time I've tried, I'm miserable. It to me it's like it's like a super dense triple chocolate layer cake where it's so rich. In those first few bites, I'm like, this is delicious. I love everything about this. But then if I eat the whole cake, I've got a headache, I'm fatigued, and I'm mad at whoever put me up to it. Like it's just not the way to do it. So I've really been enjoying this thing when I just listen in those four to five song Mm -hmm. chunks. And I kind of adhere to that chapter format that they've done. Um, I don't think that this is Beach House's best album of all time, but there are some really big highlights for me that I enjoy that I don't really think I expected to enjoy from a Beach House album in 2022. And there are other songs that I I can't deal with and can't stand. So it's, it's an interesting one for me in that I really enjoy it and it's something that Devin, I kind of mentioned to you where I feel like mm-hmm. I can kind of like go back and I don't know, listen to this thing kind of all year and come up with something new or have some new okay. thought about a song. It, right. it just feels like something that you've got to like take your time with in a way. But what about you guys? Have you listened to it at all? What do you, what do you think? 
I have only made it probably seven or eight tracks through this one so far. And yeah, it's a lot. And I think similar to what I was talking about with the Big Thief release is that this album does feel long. Yes. Um, I think it's interesting. They seem to have stumbled across this new release. Um, I, maybe we call it like an EP. I don't know. Yeah. Something like that. We'll just release, you know, four four EPs and call it an album. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a lot. This is a very long one. This is the longest one we're talking about today yeah. in terms of the releases. So um, I still have to work my way through it. Um, <laughs> not one that I think I'm going to come back to after I've worked my way through it this year. Sure. Um, I just didn't, you know, hit those notes for me. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you've enjoyed it at least in parts so far. I should. I am not like the biggest Beach House fan yeah. either. I, I like Teen Dream. I like stuff off Bloom. There's a song or two from Depression Cherry, but like a band that I wouldn't swear by mm-hmm. up until this album. For yeah. sure. For sure. Jake, what do you think? Um, I think it's a Beach House album. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, He's not wrong. Yeah. It is It is a Beach House album. And if you know what that means, then you know whether you like it or not already. Yeah. Um, I, I do not recommend sitting and listening to it on one session. <laughs> no. I did it the first time and ooh. <laughs> Yikes. It was something. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like being trapped in a prison, but the prison is just sound waves. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Anyway, um, that got a little esoteric, but <laughs> the point is break this up into chunks. Like it seems to have been intended by the artist for you to do. I think even if an artist doesn't intend for you to do that, yeah. it's always okay to break an album into chunks, whether single album, double album, EP, whatever, just do what you need to, to enjoy these songs to the fullest extent. Um, I do like the album as an art form and as a complete work, but I think that if an album doesn't sound good, broken up, then it's probably not that good of an album anyway. Sure, sure. Um, this, however, I, second time around through, I listened to a little chunk, and then I continued it later with another chunk, and it was much better. Yeah. Um, like you read, not historically a massive Beach House fan, but I do like Teen Dream a lot. Um, it's an album that I put on when I want to be calm, and I don't want to have any jarring changes to to my environment while I'm listening to music. Yeah. Um, I think Bloom is pretty good. I think Depression Cherry is pretty good. They always release albums that are pretty good. Yeah. Um, this is another pretty good album and it's beach house and it's beach house doing beach house. And I don't think there was a single song on here where I was like, Oh, beach house. (laughs) You've, you've amazed me. I wasn't amazed at any point. It is exactly what I thought beach house would sound like. Maybe not quite like they've sounded on other albums, but the change is so only slightly perceptible that it all feels like just a logical extension of exactly what you think beach house is going to be doing in the year 2022. No, I agree. So if you like Beach House, guess what? You've probably already listened to this and you're like it. If you haven't listened to to it, (laughs) you've started and it's not finished yet. Um, Or if you don't like Beach House, avoid it because you're not going to like it. Go listen to, I don't know, Ice Age or whatever it is you listen to. (laughs) I like that Ice Age is the antithesis of Beach House. Um, I mean, would you put a Beach House by a glacier? Oh, you would on the long road north. Look at that. I'm oh, sorry. Pregnant Oops. pause. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Jake, I totally agree with your assessment. It is just more beach house. They don't really reinvent the wheel here. I think if there's something I could say about how, about how to distinguish this one from the other ones, other than the like super long track list is that I feel like this is the most kind of maximal beach house album. I feel like it's like beach house and widescreen where mm-hmm. they're just 
their ambitions are uh, their ambitions of releasing such a long album i think are matched by the sounds where sometimes on tracks you have like the title track you have this like huge like string section that comes in and accentuates every vocal melody note that victoria legrand has um i love the song superstar a lot it sounds like what would happen if a ufo were to come above you and you're like oh what's that and then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until you're teleported up like that's what it feels like to me. I feel like I'm floating a little bit when I listen to it. It reminds me of another Super Smash Brothers stage. <laughs> <laughs> Audience, if you'd like to guess which one, make sure you reply to us at Proof of Sound Pod. Yes, please do. Please do. Uh, names are important in that one. And then the other artist, the one thing I wanted to shout out about this album, and Jake, why I thought it may have been something that you enjoyed, is the song um, New Romance, which is this like total... 80s club banger reminds me a lot of something that could have come off of that weekend album that we talked to Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the way that beach house play with sense on this album especially how big they make them reminds me a little bit of m83's hurry up i'm dreaming like when i listen to just the scope and just Mm -hmm. the like sheer size that i think it's trying to shoot for that's that's the no that immediately came to mind when i listened to this album is it's it's very m83 and you know i love hurry up we're dreaming i think that's a all-time classic. Another double album. Another double album. <laughs> that one high concept, though. Yeah. That one okay. a little bit different. Yeah. Um, but this doesn't quite hit those heights. It's, you know, we're, I think, 11 years gone from Hurry Up, We're Dreaming. Yeah. Um, I've kind of maybe moved on from those sounds a little bit. Sure. I was real big into that sound from 2010 to 2013, roughly. Beach House, you know, they're there if I want that hit, but it's not something that I'm going to reach for as often anymore. Totally. Um, which, it, it happens. You know, there are bands that I loved in 2013 even more than M83 and Beach House by a wide measure that now are just not something I want to put on. We we yeah. change. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, the one thing, too, that I'll, the last thing I'll say about this album, um, the song Sunset, which kicks off Chapter 3, um, I think is a really welcome break from the rest of the sounds where i feel like again beach house are so wall of sound wall of sound wall of sound on each album or on each song and this one is acoustic and just very of earth and and just i mean beautiful with a capital b like it's just it's not trying to transport you anywhere it's just trying to kind of wrap you in this very kind of warm uh, just string kissed acoustic guitar sound and i think it's such an interesting kind of thing for them where it's like what if beach house just did a full folk album uh if I had to rank the chapters in terms of how much I enjoy them, I'm chapter three at the top, chapter one, second, chapter four, third, and then chapter two, fourth, which is weird, I guess, to like think about. But I just wrote that ranking today. And that's how I feel. All right. I think it's time to move on to what we've all been waiting for. The title Yes, track. that's right. <laughs> Mark Lanigan has passed away. <laughs> oh, no. And real quick, I listened to the album uh, Uncle Anesthesia a couple of days ago and Damn, that album slaps. Yeah. If you have not listened to Screaming Trees in a while, go back and revisit them because that's such a great band. Mark Lanigan's such a great singer. Yeah. Uh, obviously worked as well with like Queens of the Stone Age. Mm-hmm. Worked with Cult of Luna, actually. They have a song did he? where hmm. he did vocals with Cult of Luna. Um, and then also his massive body of solo work, which is kind of set him up to my ears like the grunge Tom Waits. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, Mark Lanigan passed away at the age of 57, I believe. Tragic loss. Um, And go back and listen to some of his work if you get a chance. Uh, My recommendations would be from Screaming Trees, Uncle Anesthesia, and Sweet Oblivion. 
uh, or his solo album Bubblegum. Love Bubblegum. Yeah. So good. Classic. And also, you know, you got to throw on Songs for the Deaf by Queens of the Stone Age and hear his demented vocals on some of those tracks, <laughs> especially A Song for the Dead. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So spooky. I, I really loved his vocal performance on the Queens of the Stone Age song uh, In the Fade from Rated, Rated R. That's, R yeah. that's one of my favorites for sure. But yeah, tragic, tragic, tragic passing. Such a talented guy. Once in a lifetime kind of voice for sure. Mm-hmm. For anyway, sure. just wanted to make sure he got a little bit of airtime. Yeah. Uh, but now... Let's talk title track. Devin, you and I have been waiting for a very long time. Gang of Youths has released their third full-length album, Angel in Real Time. What do you think? Just what do you think? Hold on. Before we get there, can I I want to set something up real quick? So I know that this is their third album. I know that you guys are huge Gang of Youths fans. Jake, is it fair to say that Go Farther and Lightness is like straight up one of your favorite albums of all time ever? Is. It, oh, it, it is. is. Oh, my favorite album is. of all time. Wow. Yes. So we're at the top of that mountain. Devin. I would get lyrics tattooed on me if I weren't afraid that at some point a member of that band could do something terrible and I wouldn't want my name associated with them anymore. So that's there. But, but right, a, yeah. a huge album for you. I mean, yeah. Devin, I know that you came to Gang of Use a little mm-hmm. later. Right, right. We know that, that Jake is probably the biggest Gang of Use fan I know. Right. He, J- right. Gang of Use is Jake Spoon. I better for, be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How do you feel? Like, where are you? I know that you've also been highly anticipating this album. Yeah. Uh, definitely a big fan. Um, I came around to them, I, and we've talked about this, but it was after Jake introduced me to them with the album Go Farther in Lightness. Um, it took me a little bit to come around on that album fully. It's fantastic. It's awesome. It's a big, huge album. Uh, starts off with two super, super great tracks. Has a just a super wide variety of different sounds going on in that one. Um, it's fantastic. And so when we got the news that this album was finally going to be released, um, it feels like uh, about, what, nine months ago, just about, I want to say? This is not our new yeah. baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nine months. This is. Nine months and it has oh, arrived. Man. And uh, finally, after we basically yelled at Dave from Gang of Youths on this podcast so many times, they've they've released the album. Yeah. And it's really good. It's really it's good. Really, really it's really, good. really good. Yeah. Yep. Read real quick before we get into any specifics. I just got to know, generally speaking, what is your impression of this album? I like it. I'm impressed by it. Okay. I don't think I am as swept away by it as you guys are but i think listening to it it's it's one of those things where the ambition the scope the instrumentation the Mm -hmm. extremely intense lyrics like even if you don't love this thing and like want to be buried with it one day i just feel like it is it's just hard to like dismiss and just be like this isn't good i think it's you know what i mean like it's it's just got so much to it i think it's just such an impressive body of work and One thing I guess I wanted to ask you guys about, too, is that, you know, I feel like from what I remember of Go Farther in Lightness, the songs and the album, like, there's really no narrative arc, really. But this Mm -hmm. one is so tied to a very specific story. Yeah, an Mm -hmm. extremely specific story. Um, So Gang of Muse lead singer Dave Leo Pepe, um, his father in 2018 died of cancer. And... In the days leading up to his father's death and in the ensuing weeks after his father's death, uh, Dave Leo Pepe learned that his father was actually 10 years older than he said he was and that he had a previous relationship in New Zealand before Mm -hmm. he moved to Australia and became Dave's father and his sister's father. 
and in that relationship had two children who thought for years that their father was already dead. And then Dave Leo Pepe meets these two half-brothers who were living in New Zealand after his father has died and introduces himself to them. And so this album is, it, it is partially a reckoning with a father's legacy. Mm-hmm. It is partially a reckoning with discovering you have new family. Right. It's partially an album of falling in love in the midst of losing someone that you care about. It is so many big things and big emotions that all center around that core story of his father. And I think you can see even in the album art are two identical photos of his father, um, which to me at least symbolizes the two lives that his father right. led, but oh. the fact that he was the same person, but was ju- there were just two of him. Yeah. Um, and that shadow of, of his father hangs over the entire album. Yeah. Every single song in some way deals with or reckons with his relationship with his father, his father's motivations for what he did and why he lied to his family for years mm-hmm. about having this previous life. Um, about dealing with grief, about like learning to love and trust someone as you're feeling betrayed. Um, it just hangs over the entire album. Do you guys feel like, it, it, again, that's such an a, intense life experience and then to translate it into music that's so big. That's what this mm-hmm. album is to me is it's just intense and not in the same yeah, way that like yeah. a Cult of Lunar record is intense, but just like I, when I was listening, the the first song, just the the you and everything, mm-hmm. I feel like just so lays bare all of his emotions, yeah. what he thinks of himself and everything. It was just like reading someone's diary and yeah. Like, and Whoa. Uh, Dave Leo Pepe did an interview recently with uh, Stereo Gum, and in that interview, he went through every single song, and I highly recommend you read that interview if you're interested in getting like all of the details of what these songs are about. Yeah, uh, but he mentioned that first track, you and everything. He wanted to almost have the same um, vibe as an overture mm-hmm. in, a, in a symphonic performance mm-hmm. where it sets the emotional overtone of the whole record. Yeah. And for him, he said it was almost a summation of all of the feelings that the following songs would contain bottled up into that opening track. Yeah. So you're right on the money, Reed. Yeah. yeah, no, super cool. So, all right, we've talked about kind of the concept of this album. You guys have both mentioned that you like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Let's dig into that. What what works about this album for you? And I'm really interested to know what makes this different than Go Farther in Lightness. So, Everything. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is super, super different. So Go Farther in Lightness, going back to the theme of it, it's about that grief and that loss and how raw it is at that moment and still experiencing that. And this album... And worth mentioning that Go yeah. Farther in Lightness was written and released before he died. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about you know him dying. Mm-hmm. It was also before Dave Leo Pepe got married to his now wife. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, and so there's kind of the reckoning with new love. So this, in many ways, lyrically, is kind of a counterpoint where mm-hmm. it's, we're looking. We had the before and after. Yeah. And this is very much the after to Go Farther in Lightness is before. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's it, it's like well, like we've already sort of said it's thematically and emotionally very very heavy but i would say when it comes to the sound of it it's not an overly heavy album they've stripped back a lot of the guitar especially like in the opening two tracks of the of uh go farther in lightness uh which are fear and trembling and then what can i do when the fire goes out nothing on this album is anywhere near as heavy as that album gets at the very beginning but you've still got this mix of you know what dave does really well is he writes a lot of the orchestration behind this yeah so, and so this, many strings yes, on this album. and this goes back to actually his father's love of classical music oh. was what drove him into this field a bit so okay. everything when it comes to the strings is stuff that he's written and it, it's beautiful but it's this mix of you've got that you've got 
um, these sort of like chants and choruses from like his family heritage in the past that they've really tied in with this album in ways that we hadn't heard before. Yeah, well, and that's that's another thing too that he mentioned, uh, just to briefly mm-hmm. tie into the chants, is that his father had basically told his children that he was born in New Zealand and mm-hmm. was was a New Zealander. And so he grew up with this understanding that his family was Maori, which is the the native or one native group that mm-hmm. live in New Zealand. But he actually found out that his father was born in Samoa and that he actually had Samoan heritage, but then also grew up with this Maori heritage that he thought he had. Oh, man. And so it's he, so like, much. You yeah. were reckoning with the sounds of like Maori and Samoan music on top of the classical music yeah. and the strings and on top of his more modern musical influences right. too. It's just, he is a hodgepodge. There's so and much. Yeah. So ergo, I, the music is a hodgepodge. Identity crisis, the album for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But I think he really does marry each of those things together so mm-hmm. well. And I think part of that is, you know, when you've added so much and so many different sounds into this album, stripping back the guitar and the distortion and the heaviness of that side, I think was important. And then also opening up the new lanes of making it at times, there's a little bit more electronic backgrounds happening in this. And I think that works so well with, he is so dang charismatic (laughs) just listening to him and seeing him on stage. And that, that dance flow that he brings on the stage works so well with this new backing. Yeah. um, Where it's less about, I'm just going to bang my head to the guitars and now I'm just going to flow with this. And I think partially you, you might could relate that back to, you know, coming from the rawness of that grief. And then now it's the, this is life. I'm experiencing it. Um, and, and you know, the growth that's come from that, like we've said, where he's, you know, he's married now, he's found love since, you know, this, this passing, but also, um, further out into the, the tracks you see where in like goal of the century, he's looking at starting a family and seeing like how he would want his dad to meet his child, even though, you know, knowing the baggage and knowing the difficulties and the, the stories that he wasn't aware of the secrets there, realizing that, you know, that person still is your father, the yeah. person that meant so much to you. And I think it's a credit to his writing that he can have these lyrics that are so specific to his mm-hmm. circumstances, but when you hear them, you immediately can associate them with feelings that you've had. Sure. Um, and, yeah. and things that you've gone through. And I mean, maybe I'm a little bit closer than most because I have had a father pass away relatively recently. I've actually had two yeah. uh, fathers pass away. One recently, one a long time ago. Um, but for me, I just, that, that sense of grief, uh, it's so specific to him, but mm-hmm. at the same time is universal. Yeah. I mean, I think of that line that gives the first song its title, You and Everything, mm-hmm. um, where he says, um, I will see you and everything. He also does variations of hear you and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really is kind of the the process of, of grief is that everything that could even possibly be associated with that person all of a sudden becomes like a symbolic identifier of them. And in the way that maybe that emotion makes you look into yourself, the, the, the lyric in you and everything that really just like bowled me over like a yeah. bulldozer was the thing where he said, like, I've just been doing a bunch of self-indulgent bullshit yeah. in my early twenties. Right. And I was like, yeah. damn it. <laughs> <laughs> like making a podcast. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, okay. So it sounds like from Devin, what you were saying that mm-hmm. this album is maybe transcending kind of the, the rock influence that's all over mm-hmm. Go Farther and Lightness yeah. to introduce all these new sounds in there, the electronics, maybe even more strings than before. Because yeah, sig- I would say significantly. And yeah. I, I want to talk about the strings just real quick. Yeah. Um, if we can. Yeah. But uh, Go Farther and Lightness obviously had strings. Their mm-hmm. first album, The Positions, also had strings. Mm-hmm. Um, but the strings always 
kind of came on as like a, an accoutrement, yeah. like an addition yeah. to the sound. You had a couple of songs on Go Farther in Lightness that were just string interludes. Right. Like Achilles Come Down? Or? Well, they even had like interludes yeah. like L'Imaginaire. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, but then you had other songs that incorporated them more fully like Achilles Come Down. Right. Yeah. Uh, but then there were songs that just didn't feature the strings at all. Now, every single song to some degree, except for, I think, Brothers, just because it's so spare. Piano specific, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, features the strings in some capacity. And they're huge. Yeah. yeah. It's like they, they have become band members. The string yeah. quartet is in the band. Yeah. 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 Um, so let's talk about maybe some songs at this point. Like we I feel like we heard about half of this album before it was fully released. Yeah. They they yeah. really kind of let you um kind of get to know these singles for a while. But tell me about maybe some thoughts you guys have about those singles and then some new songs that you just have heard that you're impressed by so I still think my favorite track is unison and I think it's because it covers such a scope and such a, a change that we didn't expect from this band yeah um, in, in their sound I think it's a great introduction to some of those chants and the and the Maori heritage and, and all of that um, but uh, a song that I was really interested in uh, from the beginning on this one is returner it's sort of a, a fun one that we had not heard. Um, it combines his orchestration and the chants and the choruses from that family heritage. Also, some of the most like pop forward yeah. uh, melodies that you'll hear from this band. And he's able to really lean into that. And then there's also these like group voice chumbawamba cheers <laughs> that happen. It sounded very yeah. barroom to yeah. me. Yeah. 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 Like he's basically there's so many different things on here that he's like Guy Fieri taking us to Flavortown, <laughs> just throwing everything in there. It's I love it so much. Yeah. That one where it's just there's so much going on. I'm all about that track. Um, I think Return yeah. to uh, yeah. is the first time they've ever sounded like they indeed were a gang of youths. Yeah, yeah. Um, Returner is an interesting one for me. Um, so the song you said is about touring 21 shows in 30 days mm-hmm. in the immediate aftermath of his father's death and feeling guilty for doing that. Um, and so it's a very self-deprecating song. And I think that more than any previous release, this really finds him in a self-deprecating place. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, Returner was was difficult to wrap my head around. I've listened to the album now three times, to- three times front to back, and I've also listened to a few songs here and there in pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Returner is not one of my my tops yeah. on this album, um, just because it is a little prickly in a way that maybe almost just you know I understand the emotion behind it and understand why he felt that way and why he wrote this song, but it feels like that's not a place I can stay. Interesting. Um, okay. Emotionally, I don't. I don't want to spend time there because it just makes me feel bad, kind and of I, I think yeah. it probably makes him feel bad too when yeah. he sings that song. Interesting. Yeah. So, kind of his negative space yeah. just doesn't mm-hmm. feel good for you. Okay. Yeah. Not to say that it's a bad song. You know, it, it's it's nice to listen to, but the lyrics are just so down on himself. Yeah. yeah. And it's it is a weird break from the rest of the album because so much of the rest is about his family or his father specifically, or even. Tracks like Tin the Garden, which I think is a good one. It was one of the singles that is straight up from his father's perspective. perspective. Yeah. And it gives you the first glimpse into some of those secrets that you really lay bare in the track Brothers, which the first time I heard that one, I mean, man, there's just so much that he's he's letting you know. Um, you hear about, you know, obviously the brothers, but also his sister um, that I really want to meet because apparently she's a really good cook. And he says that she sings better than him. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll Maybe see. there's a new voice for right. Devin to steal. Right. Yeah, I know. Never, never forget Dave. Dev is Dev is coming after your voice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, like Brothers Ursula. is one that I wish I hadn't heard about beforehand. I did not hear it beforehand, obviously. 
um, because it was not released in advance, but I knew that there was this track called Brothers Mm -hmm. that specifically laid bare the story. And because I'm a a stan, I read up on the story. I knew everything before this album even came out. Yeah. So when I got to that song, it was like, oh, this is the one. And I almost wish that I'd gotten to have that organic moment where Brothers just came on and I just like got swept up in the, uh, honestly, the drama of it all. Totally. Um, But, you know, win some, you lose some. And I think that it's a testament to how intimate and just good Brothers is that the song's almost Mm -hmm. six minutes long and it feels like flies by wow. in an instant. Yeah, I think it's, it's just him and a piano. Yeah. And you would think that, oh, almost six minutes of him and a piano, that's going to feel like a marathon, but it really just flies by. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I, th- I think w- one of the things that I wrote down about this album was that it feels like staying at his house for a weekend and meeting different people of his family mm. or or him showing you like his family history. But specifically, the track Brothers feels to me like you're looking through the family scrapbook and he's introducing you to each of these people like in depth, one by one. And I think that's part of what makes that song flow as well as it does is because you get this like in depth, full background of this of these people like one by one at a time. And you feel like you come away with a lot more of their personality than you would in a six minute song where you meet so many people. Interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a one of the more vivid portraits yeah. of people that I've ever heard. Yeah. It's rare to find a song that has such clear imagery of a person. You can really picture these people um, as the song is being sung. Um, for me, um, obviously some of the singles like have my heart just because I've spent so much time mm-hmm. with them. Yeah. Um, one that was released just a few days before the album. It was released on Tuesday. The album came out on Friday. And I got to listen to it five or six times before the album actually dropped is Spirit Boy. Mm-hmm. And I think Spirit Boy is the song that I want to play as I'm dying and my soul is leaving this mortal plane. Yeah. Um, It is triumphant. It is Mm -hmm. big. It is bold. It is so big. It is sloppy, but like in a cool (laughs) way. Um, The first time that chorus hit, I felt like I literally physically left my body. (laughs) My soul was ascending. Yeah. Um, It is maximalist this is the most u2 song yeah on angel in real time but obviously for me being a massive u2 fan that just hits me right in the correct spot um so i think spirit boy's fantastic i also think of the ones that were not released in advanced in advance um and we can talk about we can talk about a couple of the other ones that i like too but um the kingdom is within you really caught me off guard Mm -hmm. it's I think probably the danciest yeah. of the songs on this album. Mm-hmm. There are several that do. Um, but he mentioned that one of his big influences for this album, and you know, being that we are a Birmingham, Alabama based podcast, I wanted to mention was a very small electronic musician called Accelera Rock, who made music in Birmingham, Alabama in the late 90s and early 2000s. Huh, really? Yeah. And he said that specifically it was that kind of fast um, bass and drum style yeah. of beat that influenced him. And you can hear it on. Um, that song in particular, The Kingdom is Within You. Um, another song also sung from his father's perspective, kind of the the song that grapples with ec- economic exploitation and racism and mm-hmm. colonialism, um, but then also being that personal portrait of his father. And his father just kind of saying, but I'm just going to deal with it because this is the hand that I've been dealt. Um, and then maybe almost even expressing some frustration with that. Yeah. As um, if this album needed more themes. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Like as an English teacher, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> give me the themes. Yeah. I also, I really do like goal of the century as the closer too. Yeah. I wanted um, to talk about that and yeah. hand of God, which yeah. comes before it and is 
you know, they're they're basically one yeah. song. Our next episode is going to be an in depth review of every single track. Yeah, by the tra- way. So track by track breakdown. Yeah. You joke, but I could do it. I I believe you. <laughs> I'm um, sure. No, I, I think it's really interesting what you guys were saying about sort of that electronic and dance influence because I remember, again, I've not been listening to these songs as much as you guys have the last couple months in anticipation of this album, but um unison really caught me off guard with just sort of that beat and then i feel like tend the garden yeah. like accentuates mm-hmm. it and then i feel like the kingdom is within you just like it's like that's like the part of the album where they're like a little dance medium dance big dance right. you know what i mean right. they just keep adding then, to it not only that uh, but it's it's despite its lyrical content very joyous yeah and that yeah. moment that sticks out to me is the moment where he says up 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 but like in an ascending falsetto mm-hmm. and it's like almost he was like overcome with the feeling in yeah. the song um it's just a really that one did catch me off guard i heard that moment i was like oh yeah oh dang <laughs> yeah 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 getting, getting into it kind of a prince moment for yeah. a second totally 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 um and speaking of prince and just influences in general um, some of the the sounds that he specifically mentioned influenced him on this album um, don't sound like they should work at first because he has talked about everyone from Sufjan Stevens, um, talked specifically about Come On Feel the Illinois, um, talked about Yankee Hotel Foxtrot by Wilco. Mm-hmm. Um, he's mentioned Joni Mitchell. Um, he's mentioned Bruce Springsteen, U2. But then not only that, and he mentioned Accelera Rock, that Birmingham-based electronic musician that we were talking about. He's also, over the last couple of years, become very close friends. And as soon as I say this person, you're going to be like, oh, I hear it. He's become extremely close friends with Kevin Drew of Broken Social Scene. Uh, yeah. Who has significantly influenced the writing and recording of this album. Interesting. Okay. I, I could The Broken Social hmm. Scene Gang of Youth tour would be uh, a lot. <laughs> yeah. Everybody would be emotionally spent by yeah. the end of that night, yeah. for by sure. By the end of the opener. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whichever band it was. Uh, what about the the singles that had been released um, prior to the full album dropping? Do you guys have any new thoughts on them? It, it, do they work in the context of an album that, it, in the context of the album that you didn't expect? Or any- yeah, I, I think it it very clearly with the release of the full album, you see how everything comes together in terms of the story that he's telling. Like you said, where the previous album didn't really necessarily have that you know, story start to finish. This one really does. Um, with Ten the Garden, you get the the background from his father. And then with this new release in Brothers, you get the actual like, hey, this is person by person, what's going on and, and the, the background from it. But um, yeah, I think it all works really well together. Um, like I've already said, I think Unison is still my favorite one. That was one of the, the original singles. Um, and I think like you said, that's where they intro that dance beat. And it's that breakdown right at the very, very end, which I really and the, liked. The yeah. first time I heard that, like I, my, I turned my head around completely. I was like, whoa, <laughs> that was so <laughs> unexpected. But that was like that nothing was, they've ever recorded yeah, before. And that, that was a total shock. And I think that was where he was saying, I, I think earlier on when they released those singles, that song overall does feel more like what you would get from Go Farther and Lightness, and then that part hits. Yeah. So it's sort of that intro of, we've got a new sound now, but we're going to give it to you in little pieces. And like you said, where Tin the Garden really continues to flow on that. Um, yeah, it, it, it comes together really well, I think, across the album. Yeah, I think for me, you know, I spent a lot of time with the advanced releases from yeah. this album. Um, the Angel of 8th Avenue was the first one that we heard last year. Um, and that one is very much in the mode of Go Farther and Lightness. Mm-hmm. That one, more than any other song on this album, is a Go Farther and mm-hmm. Lightness extension. And so, and also not even one that lyrically is as much about his father and his story. Mm-hmm. He's in this song because he's in every song. 
um, but it's not as much about that. And so it kind of lulled me into this false sense of what I thought this album might be. Um, but then as we got more songs, like we got Unison next was the next one to drop. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, so I still heard the traditional stuff. Right. And then we got that beat at the end that we've talked about. And then we get after that one, the man himself, which is like all strings and yeah. Maori chants and samples all over the place. And I was right. like, all right, what in the heck <laughs> this is, is this? Different. Yeah. And then we got Tin the garden after that. And I was like, <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> um, and so it's just like, there's been this slow revelation. Mm-hmm. Um, I love all of those songs. I think I spent so much time listening to them as that little chunk that they had on Spotify that it almost sounds weird for me when I listen to in the wake of your leave. And then on the album, it goes into Angel of 8th Avenue. Right. But I got right. so used to hearing it go into Tend the Garden that my brain oh. my brain almost wants Tend the Garden to be the next track on the album yeah. instead of the yeah. Angel of 8th Avenue. I don't know why they put the two like hardest rocking songs back to back. That If I have like yeah. a couple minor complaints, that would be one. Yeah. And um, that those two probably don't need to be back to back. But yeah, I, I love every song on this thing. There's not a single song I dislike. Some yeah. of them work better than others. I think the quality goes from like good to masterpiece. Um, overall though, I think it's a triumph. Yeah. I do want to talk a little bit about things that maybe slightly hold this one back okay. because I don't think that this is their best album. I think go farther in lightness still has that crown mm-hmm. pretty cleanly. Yeah. Um, there are some things that don't quite hit for me. Devin, I know you said there were a couple things that slightly hold it back for you as well. Um, I'll let you kick it off before I go into mine. Yeah, I think, um, like you've said, where you've got two of the bigger rock tracks back to back, I think the back half of this album does slow down uh, significantly. Mm. It still, to me, does not feel like as long of the of the <laughs> other two albums that we've talked about. And yeah, it is technically a little bit shorter. Um, it's only 13 tracks, I want to say, um, for this album. But like we've said, this is this band is the, the they are the kings of like five, six, seven minute tracks. Yeah. They love those. They live for those. Um, but I, I do think, yeah, a little more variety towards the back half of the album would be good. It feels like there's three or four that are very much piano driven. Um, but then you get that closer, which is not just piano driven. There's a lot going on. It's a more uplifting closer yeah. before it before it really does resolve towards the end. I have yeah. to think of Hand of God as part of Goal of the mm-hmm. Century because on its own, Hand of God is just another spare piano song, yeah. but it transitions seamlessly into Goal of the Century and is basically one track anyway. Yeah. yeah. And that makes it easier for me to, even thematically they're connected because they're both about 1986 World Cup soccer goals. <laughs> Because of course they are. Another theme to add on to this album. Yeah, not, yeah. yeah. soccer. Mm-hmm. It shows up in a couple other songs too. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I would agree that at the very end, there are a couple moments. So we get Brothers, and obviously I like Brothers a lot. But then after that comes Forbearance. Mm-hmm. And I think Forbearance is my least favorite song on the album. I have no notes for that track. Yeah. None. That's the one. And that's yeah. purely because it's the most forgettable. Yeah. I, I don't think it's bad. Like I said, I think everything here ranges from good to masterpiece. Um, but I just, I don't have thoughts about that song. I think it's just kind of there. I think lyrically it expresses things that he's already said better in other songs. Um, and I kind of just want to go straight out of Brothers and into the man himself. And I think it would have been fine Yeah, if that had been the case. Yeah. Um, again, I guess I'm glad I have it. More Gang of Youths is always going to make me happy, but I could have done without that one. Um, Returner, like I said, makes me feel a little icky sometimes. Okay. <laughs> um, and I think this is this is my one critique that's like, this is why it's a 9 out of 10 for me and not a 10 out of 10. Yeah. The strings are a little much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little much. Yeah. Um, I lo- I thought Go Farther in Lightness had the perfect balance of those strings, mm-hmm. and it's it's they're in every song. <laughs> And they're always doing things. The strings tend a lot to do. of things. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes they're doing different things from one another. 
And I'm like, sometimes I'm like, boy, I sure do wish I could hear a guitar right now. Yeah. Like, that'd be cool. But instead of hearing, and I'm like, all right. All right, Dave. We yeah. get it. You can arrange strings. Yeah. Cool. I, I get that. Especially, like I said, after the, the two opening tracks of Go Farther and Lightness that are so guitar heavy and so great. Really opening three because Atlas Drowned yeah. is the same deal. Yeah. Like three the, in a row. Those are all so, so good. I do miss a little bit of that. Okay. Um, I think, you know, a track or two like that and this would have easily been 10 out of 10 for me like it, yeah. it would be that that level um but uh i don't come away from this one unhappy just because the themes are so heavy and interesting but he's so good at articulating those feelings in different ways i i mm-hmm. think it comes together so well I, and i was going to ask you guys too you know again at the very top you kind of talked about that go farther in lightness is about things but it's just not as like linear as maybe mm-hmm. this one is go farther in lightness is more of like a an emotional um an emotional expression not a specific narrative right and, and i guess that was what i was going to ask is that i feel like part of loving a band like this that just does sound like they can move the world right is it a thing where because this one has such it's about such a specific thing and it's got such a linear structure, do you almost kind of find yourself not quite um I don't know, like diving into it as much just because it's not maybe something that is as easy to associate with yourself as maybe Go Farther in Lightness, which just seems a little bit bigger and broader? So Go Farther in Lightness was uh will always have a special place in my heart as like a depression album. Yeah. Um, a, a pretty significant spell of it. And that basically single-handedly worked me out of it. So I've got that deeply personal association with it. I'm not the person to tell you whether or not angel in real time is inaccessible because like, even though my, you know, both fathers did not like lie to the extent that Dave Leal, my <laughs> base father did and give me that amount of beef. You know, I've been through death of the father, sure. um, both a long time ago and recently I can even examine it from two different angles. Yeah. Um, and then there has been weirdness associated with that. So to me, this is a deeply personal album because I see myself directly reflected in his story. Interesting. Um, so okay. I can't answer that question objectively. Okay. Devin, what about you as a big fan? I think one thing that Dave, or not that Dave, I wish Dave and I had talked about this, that (laughs) that Jake and I talked about before you got here earlier, Reed, was that this would make a really great movie Yeah. or even a really good musical, like Mm. a a theatrical uh, version of this. And I think that's where, to me, it is very accessible because he does such a good job of putting you in both his own shoes and then also his father's shoes at times and showing you each of those emotions and stories and secrets that come out. And I think because he displays them in in that way, I think you really do get a good grasp of what's happened. Um, That to me makes it more accessible. It it, it comes across to me like you're watching a movie of someone's full life history. And it doesn't hurt that it's like super catchy. Yeah. 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 No, totally, totally. And that's that's what I could think I meant by just like the Mm -hmm. impressiveness of it is like none of the songs to me you're like oh that vocal hook doesn't work it's like no it, it all yeah. it's, yep. it yeah. very much works does um, exactly what it wants to do yeah my last prompt for you guys and if you have other things to say about this album uh, hell you may have other things to say about this album on future episodes which yeah. welcome it that's fine we can have gang of youth's corner but yeah, um, i don't know what our <laughs> podcast identity is now that this album's out <laughs> <laughs> but we, we can talk about that in the post show meeting we, we <laughs> calmly wait for the next turnstile um there we go the can you guys each give me three songs that you would give somebody to listen to this album because again it's so big it's so huge what would mm-hmm. you give somebody to be like ch- test this out to see if this is for you Ooh. i think 
I'm not sure this is the right three, but I would definitely say Unison as the number one. Okay. I would say Ten the Garden because I think that gives you the intro from his father. Oh, I, I at that point I would either go Brothers or maybe Goal of the Century. Probably Goal of the Century. Cool. I'll go with that one instead of Brothers. I think Brothers is so so specifically intimate. Um, I would yeah, I'll, I'll say Goal of the Century instead. Cool. Um, for me, I would say uh, In the Wake of Your Leave would be the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Spirit Boy, and then I would agree with Devin on Unison. Probably be my three. Cool. Not necessarily my three favorites on the album, but the three that I think you most need to listen to if you really want to get a sense of what Gang of Youths is about and what this album's about. Neat. Neat. All right. Well, that concludes episode 13's title track, Gang of Youths, Angel in Real Time, an album that we have been hotly anticipating for months and months and months and months and months and months and months. It's finally here. And again, I'm sure that as Jake and Devin continue to listen to it, they will have more thoughts to share. Probably safe to say a hot contender for top five of the year, I would imagine. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. It's a it's, foregone. It's got the top spot at the moment. Okay, okay. It might get shaken from it. Foregone but conclusion, we'll but I love it. Uh, Jake. I saw the clouds forming and I knew it was happening. Yeah. It's time for the lightning round. Um, this is, you know, not to toot my own horn or anything, but I think I'm pretty good at like coming up with quiz ideas that are topical. Um, but, you know, we just had an entire episode about Gang of Youths, Big Thief, Beach House, Cult of Luna. Topical is difficult. Like it was, was going to be like, <laughs> which father is it? Like, no, I can't really do that. Like, <laughs> topical quizzes for these particular albums don't really work. So yep. instead, I went topical in a different direction. And so today's quiz. Now, Reed, I know that the last 24 hours have been splendiferous for you. Oh, yeah. Because you got that Elden Ring. And I know you and thousands upon thousands upon thousands, maybe even millions of people around the world are enjoying Elden Ring as we speak. Today's quiz is inspired by Elden Ring and from software, the developers that made it. Oh, I'm so excited. (laughs) Today's quiz is from software boss or Norwegian death metal band. Oh, this Uh, is awesome. So I'm, I'm going to lose this so badly. <laughs> I'm so excited. So Reed, you have some experience playing from software games, yes. but you're not the most dedicated nope. fan of these games. Okay. No. Um, no. Which games have you played real quick before I go into this quiz? Uh, I had the first one I played was Bloodborne and I loved it. Bloodborne is one of my top five favorite games of all time. I played Dark Souls three last year um, and then I'm playing Elden Ring. I played a little bit of Dark Souls, but not far. Okay, yeah. fantastic. Um, and then, Devin, you've not really touched Yeah, these. so two things that I don't have a lot of experience with are from software games and also Norwegian metal bands. Watch so, Devin yeah. kill this yeah. quiz. Watch it. It's going to happen. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Um, so, Reed, I think because you have played a few, mm-hmm. I want to let Devin guess first, okay. and then we'll go to you. That's so fair. that'll be how we do this. That okay. way he's not influenced by thinking, oh, well, maybe Reed's heard of this one before. Okay. I'll do my best poker face. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, first off, all of these Norwegian death metal bands are indeed certified Norwegian. <laughs> <laughs> they are 100% purebred Norwegian death metal bands. Um, and secondly, all of these From Software bosses come from Dark Souls, Dark Souls 2, Dark Souls 3, Bloodborne, Demon Souls, Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice, or Elden Ring. They, co- they will come from any one of those okay. games. So just because you've played Dark Souls 3 doesn't mean they're all going to be Dark Souls 3 bosses. Are we ready? Let's do it. All right. Number one. Merksog. 
is this FromSoft boss or Merk-Sog. Norwegian death metal band Merksog? I'm going to go from software. I'm going to go death metal. Hmm. That's a death metal band. Ah, you got yeah. me on that one. Merksog, a Norwegian death metal band. All right, number two, Kalamit. Kalamit. Yeah, I'll go from software again. Damn it. Um, I'll go from software on this one. There we go. This is indeed a from software boss. Oh, this was okay, okay. this was a boss from the Dark Souls downloadable expansion. Oh, one yeah. of the deep cuts. One of yeah. the deep cuts. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't just come out here and say like Capra Demon, or yeah. you'd all get it. Um, <laughs> number three, Drotnar. I think that sounds like a death metal band. Death metal. It is a death metal band. Cool. Good job. All right. All right. Number I'm four. Killing it. All hmm. right. This one will frustrate. Gore Lord. <laughs> the answer is yes. No. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go death metal on that one as well. It it fits both so adequately. It's <laughs> like a descriptor. Um, I'm gonna go death metal. Good job. All right. That's a death All metal right. band. Fantastic. I, that, that was one where I was like, if they really named the boss that, come on. Gore Lord. Yeah. I've I, got a fun one to talk yeah. to you guys about in a minute, okay. but go ahead. Go ahead. Number five, Abritus. Abritus. I'll go from software on that one. From boss soft. band. From soft. That is indeed a boss. Y'all are killing wow. it. I've fought that one before. I knew that one. I just need yeah. to go into more of these completely blind. Yeah. yeah. She's okay. the daughter of the cosmos. She's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number six. Aeternus. Aeternus. I'll go band on that one. Oh, boy. I actually think from soft. Band. Damn it. Whoa. Streak ruined. Whoa. You died. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you got to go pick up your souls now. Reed. We'll, we'll wait here till you get back. <laughs> um, number six, Aeternus. I know we just did that. It's a bit. I'm trying to read his uh, to beat oh, the yeah. boss. Uh, no, okay, I'm done. Okay, <laughs> number seven, Wolnir. Hmm. I'll go band again. From soft boss. That's a boss. Ah. That's a boss. I think that's a Dark Souls 3 one. Yeah. Yeah, okay. so read. Okay. Kind of cheating on that Sound one. Sound familiar. It's all good. Uh, number eight, Gundir. Gundir. I'll go band on that one as well. I think that's from soft. That is indeed from soft. Oh, he's starting to pull I, away. I don't think I fought him, but I, I've heard that name. Gundir is from soft. Uh, number nine, Scaliok. Scaliok. Look at that. <laughs> I, um, I could see that being either. I feel like we've had two from softs in a row, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna cheat the system here. I'm gonna go banned again. Uh, I get burned. Devin, I'm actually going to follow you into that dark path and go, okay. go band. Look at y'all playing the meta game. That is a death metal band. Hey. Ding, ding, ding. But that means you're on your own for number 10. Uh-oh. Radon. Radon. I'm going to go from software again. Yeah. Wait. Radon. From soft. It is from soft. Hey. Hell yeah. That's, right. a, that's right. a boss that you will encounter at some point in your journey through Elden Ring. Ooh. Yeah. All right. Well, y'all did really well at that. Good job. I think some of our listeners won't fare as well on FromSoft Boss versus Norwegian Death Metal Band. This is a great concept, though, Jake. Great job. This is really solid. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been episode 13 of the Proof of Sound podcast, The Gang of Youths Review. 
For Devin Cooley and Reed Strength, I am Jake Smith. Thank you all for listening. See you again in a few weeks.